Are you maximizing the potential of your events by implementing effective follow-up and relationship building strategies? As we continue to venture out more post-pandemic and attend events, it might be crossing your mind to start thinking about running your own events. And if that is the case, then you're going to want to listen to this week's episode of the podcast. I sat down with an event planning expert, Matthew Rolnick, to delve into the topic and really uncover the secrets to unlocking new business opportunities when it comes to events. There was a lot of great insights from Matt in terms of the topic of events. He got involved with a company during kind of pre-pandemic and then during pandemic and really had to come up with new and innovative ideas to ensure that events continued. And we really did get in some great strategies and ideas with regards to events, some actionable tips and some valuable insights. So I think you're going to want to get deeper into this topic and listen to the full episode and enjoy. Welcome to the Personally Brandtastic podcast, where we help you build your personal brand and business so that people can find you easily, want to work with you and can't wait to refer you. My name is Paul Kopkin and every day I work with real estate investors, professionals and business owners who want to stand out from the crowd and attract more of the right opportunities without feeling inauthentic or spending all day doing it. It's all about communicating how personally brandtastic you are. Because marketing is how to get their attention, but personal branding is why they choose you. Now, back to the show. Matt, thank you for joining me today. You're joining me from the windy city, but hopefully not too cold yet, but I'm sure it's going to be, as we're recording this, we're coming, coming into fall and heading towards winter way too soon and too fast. Oh. Hopefully not yet. Oh, well, thanks, Paul. Yeah, exciting. We've, we had a beautiful summer, just hit fall, but yeah, great to be talking to you today. Great. So perhaps kick off, Matt, tell us a little bit about your background, because you're coming from a, a kind of entrepreneurial real estate background, and then we'll kind of get into Yaymaker and, and how you got involved in that and the story behind it. Great. Well, it all kind of stems from where I went to college. I went to University of Wisconsin-Madison, and that's kind of where my entrepreneurial roots kind of started. I started a marketing business my junior year in college. I've talked a lot about relationships. And I had a real estate, I'd say, entrepreneur mentor. And then a gentleman who also was an entrepreneur started Yaymaker 10 years ago, and we kept in touch, and I joined his company a few years ago. So, so I consider myself a, a real estate investor and broker entrepreneur, but also I work with uh, Yaymaker as well. So I've always been really strong marketing and entrepreneurial. And where does the entrepreneurial spirit come from? Was that background with family or...? No, you know, I have very, I'd say, conservative parents that went on all the way, both got their doctorates and always thought I would continue. I mean, I, as I said, they were very conservative with finances. I've just had this passion for people and projects. And literally my junior year in college, I said, I'm just going to start my own business. I didn't want to go out in the workplace and just, it was a, a passion and a hunger and an interest that just kind of, it's, that started. And uh, I, I started doing projects in college. And I realized I could make more money part-time doing this. And then I figured, hey, why don't I continue this after I graduate? And I, would you say that you're seeing more of that or would you encourage people to do more of that now versus, because when you were doing, that would have been a fairly unusual thing to do to like hit junior year and start a business. Yes. Yeah. So, so yeah, the world's changed so much. I mean, back when I was in college, you know, 
most people try to get a job, stay there 20, 30 years. That was really common. Now you're yeah. seeing people working for companies two, three years and then shifting. And now you're seeing a lot more solo entrepreneurs or now that we can work more remotely, you're seeing more people working more fractionally or starting their own businesses. So they, they might have a job and some health benefits, but now they're able to find a new interest and also work on that. So I, I think, and in today's climate with social media and the internet and AI, there's so much opportunities to quickly start and scale a business. So, I mean, I think there, you know, depending on your risk aversion and your interests, I mean, there's a lot more opportunities now to start, whether it's side projects or full-time businesses. Right. And, it's, and it's, not, it's not just real estate. I mean, real estate was kind of the traditional obvious side hustle, wasn't it? Because it was yeah. fairly easy to run a real estate or a real estate investing business, at least, without too much extra work. Whereas now, you, as you say, you can start pretty much anything. Correct. So, you know, I encourage everybody, if they can, to, uh, you know, to have one real estate investment besides, I mean, obviously I encourage people to have their own home, but also if they can manage or have one small project, you know, close to them, I think there's lots of financial, obviously benefits, but, uh, but yeah, to your point, yeah, there's so many real estate opportunities and so many other opportunities. So. So tell us a little bit more about Yaymaker, because uh, before we started recording, you shared the background story, which just blew me away. That starting yeah. literally the, the paintings behind you, yeah. and, and now it's such a business. So yeah, so I talked a lot about relationships. So it's a gentleman named Dan Herman that we were in college together. He started a laundry business with a friend named Reg, and I had a marketing publishing business, and we bartered and we worked a little together. And But 10 years ago, he started the, the original paint night. So we have two different brands of our business, Yaymaker, more the business to business side, paint night. And what he did was he had an artist teach people how to paint at a bar. And this started in Boston and people drank, they ate, they had a great time. The bar loved it. And he grew it to 60 million in revenues. We are now doing events throughout all of the U.S. and Canada a little bit in South Africa. So we, and anyway, so that's how he started and it really grew. I actually reached out to him once the pandemic hit back in March of 2020, asked him how it's going. And he said horribly, uh, and he was using even more colorful language, but just because the revenues basically went to zero and he started talking more about virtual opportunities and he even like paint nights doing, uh, doing them virtually. We had companies kind of in flux what to do because everyone's working from home. And I joined to help him expand virtual offerings. So we have now literally a hundred different options, whether it's virtual mixologies, paint nights, we're working with celebrities, plant nights, you name it. So now we have the opportunities to do team building events in person, virtually or hybrid. And we've done hundreds of events for companies like Google, so it's been really exciting. And now in-person is back and we're doing all these in-person public events and corporate events. So I'm the VP of strategy and innovation with Yaymaker and I help in, in several areas. And then I also, again, my wife and I are active with real estate and I like doing some consulting as well. And so when, did, when COVID hit, do you think COVID has been the kind of catalyst to see this really take off. I know 
So I do some work for a real estate investing club and we we were running in in in-person events and it was very successful and we'd build it up to like 300 people coming out every month. And then all of a sudden the pandemic hit and you think, oh no, this is, where do we go? But luckily we pivoted really quickly. And I think we had 800 registrations for the first online event because nobody was doing it. Uh, Are you seeing things kind of tail off from that or are you seeing a continued interest in, and you mentioned hybrid as well, and I'd, I'd be interested to see how that kind of works. So the majority of requests we're getting now are in person. So I'd say 75 plus percent are in person, but that other 25% right now is either virtual or hybrid. So we're still, I mean, getting requests from some, whether it's universities, financial firms, real, a lot of real estate companies, tech that. So it's still both. I mean, there's still, it's definitely changed the world, the way the world's worked. But I think still people prefer that in person, but there's so much flexibility now doing things through Zoom or other platforms that, and now you can have a global audience very quickly with it. So we like doing, you know, as I said, all three, in-person, virtual, or hybrid, but still in-person right as of right now has been uh, the most demand, but we are constantly prepared. I mean, you got to be nimble and flexible depending on, you know, where companies in the world's at right these, these right. days. Yeah. And I think COVID has taught us all of that, all of it. Yeah. Yeah. We've yeah. all been taught that very big lesson. So what, what are the advantages of say even a, like a, a real estate investor or a real estate agent with a small team, what are the advantages of running these kind of events, even though they're predominantly social or. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll, I'll share this, you know, I'm always integrating different things. You see, I get excited by a lot of things. So. My wife is a real estate broker with Berkshire Hathaway Home Services. I keep my license as well with it. And again, here I talk about paint night. She did a client appreciation party, invited 80 of her clients, 23 um, RSVP'd and came. And we did this event and, and it was fascinating. It doesn't have to be paint night. It can be other things, but it really brought people together. And whether someone was artistic or not, you know, phones were down. People who didn't know each other were communicating. So it did create this, I'd say, special kind of little community at that night. And so so I know my wife and what, you know, what she's doing with her real estate business, trying to help, we do uh, different events. So we try to do quarterly events. We also did you know, a barbecue picnic that, and I think for real estate brokers and investors and things like that, or any industry, I think, Trying to build this community and getting other people that have worked with you that like you and interact, I feel like that can be really powerful. And doing it through an event where, again, all of a sudden guards are down and it's like it doesn't matter, titles, things like that. Just everybody's, it's, uh, you know, enjoying each other's company and they have a structured activity to do together. I think it's a powerful way of creating community, but that also can lead to growing business and new partnerships. Right. And that, just struck me the thing that you said there with the guards are down. So do you see this being more effective than like your traditional networking event? Because I think a lot of us step away from the networking event because, oh no, I've got, I haven't got an elevator pitch. I don't know what yeah, to yeah. do. Have you, have you seen that kind I, of improve? I do. And it, you see this, I mean, you know, I talk a lot about culture. I talk a lot about engagement. 
And I do think when there's an activity people are doing together, you're building bonds differently. You're getting to see people's true character and personality and things like that. So yeah, so I have seen that. And uh, I think a traditional networking, there's just a lot of pressure. There's some people more extroverted, introverted, what to ask, what to say, things like that. We are all doing an activity together. And again, it doesn't matter if it's trivia, if it's painting, if it's you know a scavenger hunt, it really doesn't matter. If people are in it together and you've get, and and you've got someone good at kind of facilitating it, then everyone kind of feels part of it. So I, I think so. Yeah, but what you mentioned the facilitation. Are there any tips that you have that, you know, make a, an event go well versus the danger yeah. of it falling flat? We're just going to take a quick break from the show. Are you tired of the hassle of managing your own short-term vacation rental property? Look no further than Travelux, your full-service, hands-off vacation rental management solution. At Travelux, we take care of everything, so you can sit back, relax, and watch your investment thrive. Our team of experts handles everything from guest communications, listing optimization, to cleaning, maintenance, and more, ensuring your property is always in top-notch condition and attracting new bookings. Travelux has made owning our vacation rental a stress-free experience, especially since we live out of country and only visit the property a few times each year. Join our satisfied homeowners and investors who trust Travelux to maximize their rental income and provide them peace of mind. Travelux currently operates in numerous cities throughout Ontario, Alberta, Nova Scotia, and British Columbia, managing over 55 premium and luxury properties. Get started today with a free potential revenue report to see how your property may perform as a vacation rental. To claim this free offer, visit travelux.ca. That's T-R-A-V-E-L-L-U-X-E dot C-A. Or call 289-273-3822. Travelux, your partner in stress-free vacation rental management. And now, back to the episode. So for us, I mean, we work with, you know, Yaymaker and Paint Night have hundreds of hosts throughout the country. And, and it's more than just the instruction. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's really, you want a really good facilitator. And I say that, you know, it's someone with a good personality that knows how to read the room. And, you know, we always ask beforehand, like, what type of level do you want this more PG rated, R rated? You know, PG-13. I mean, what is, you know, what is the vibe you want? And I think a host knowing that, and I think also whoever's facilitating event, understanding what the values are of who's ever putting it together, the people involved, anything else important to them, anything you can weave in, any special announcements, birthdays, did anyone have any big successes? And how do you weave it or what's their strengths? How do you weave that in and make it entertaining? I think when you have kind of an MC I, that that has really good people skills, I think that can make a definite difference. And so what I'm hearing is it probably shouldn't be the host doing that. I mean, I guess a host could be good at it, but it's it may not be the best format to have the host be the facilitator as well. Well, again, when I say things like we do a lot of events for 20, 30 people and we call our host or the event owner or the artist all the the same person. So, you know, but whoever is paying for that event or the client or whoever. So so if if a real estate company says, hey, I want to invite 25 of my top clients or I'm prospecting these people, I want to do something. 
you know, that person that wants to be the, the pivotal point, maybe there's a way to integrate them. And they talk to the local, again, MC, artist, host on what's important to them. And, and they can, there's a way for them to collaborate or shine a light on them where it's not, where it's not salesy. Because a lot of times these events, one of the goals is to drive, you know, a lot of people do this to drive business. If they're doing a customer right. appreciation, they're doing this. So there are nuanced ways to be, to, to recognize others with it. But again, the focus is the event, having a good time, things like that. There can be takeaways at the end, but, but to answer your question, I think whoever the a company or group that you hire, ideally you want somebody that's, you know, professional, understands what the event is all about. And do you recommend, you know, the host getting it video, taking that, turning it into content for social media, anything like that? Or do you yeah. say better not to? Oh, I, I'm a big believer in that. So again, I can use for my own experience, you know, when my wife and I hosted an event for our, for client appreciation, we took pictures with everyone in their painting and having a photography all around. And then that makes great content for social media. And a lot of other people will share that too. So I do think, you know, any group, any real estate investor, any company, any organization, if one of their goals is to build more awareness and, and anytime you have an event, that's an opportunity to take pictures and not just stage. Ideally, you want candid, you want shots of people interacting, you know, more, more informal, more casual. Those can be highly effective too. So, yeah. And do you ever recommend doing these kind of events for a perhaps a little bit more of a cold outreach where it's like a true like business development where maybe these are not clients or they're not people that you've done business, but they're ideal target type people. A absolutely. I think, you know, nobody wants to be sold to. They love, they love engaging. They love entertainment. They love, you know, they, they want to feel part of something that's fun. So there are ways that you could say, um, invite 50 people to an event and with there's food and there's fun and then you can throw in some learning lessons uh, you could do a lunch and learn or a dinner with an activity or things like that a and sometimes that food or entertainment will be the dr drive will be what pushes someone over the edge to want to do it and then you've got a then you've got a captive audience so there are definite ways to incorporate that but it really it, again it really depends on what your goals are and I think there's ways of, I mean, we've tied speakers into activities as well. So there might be more of a serious topic when it comes to speaking, but there's also, there's also an activity too. So you're working with a lot of the different senses. Right. Yeah. Because not everybody wants to hear a speaker but, yeah. and then, and not everybody wants to do the mixology or something. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. And you can get, and there's uh, opportunities to give a choice or things like that too. So. And what would you say are the things to avoid? What mistakes do you see people doing when they're putting on events uh, that they should be kind of wary of? Well, there's some, so basic one-on-ones is just making sure you're communicating with everybody. Sometimes somebody from a company gets excited, they want to do something and, you know, it's just make, first making sure the date, the time, the location, everybody knows there's some basic one-on-ones to just make sure that's properly communicated. If you're doing it, you know, virtual or hybrid, making sure the time zone, everybody knows, and then expectations on how long it will be. Like a lot of time, I mean, we want to make sure that people know 
that, for example, if we do a paint night, it, it could t- it's going to take an hour and a half to two hours. We need someone to come in there, you know, 30, 60 minutes early to set up. So that there's making sure people know that everything's set a reminder before. And then I think there are some just general best practices. You know, hey, you know, our goal here is for you to learn about A, B, and C and to have fun and do this event, you know, you know, encouraging people, you know, put your phones away, get to know if you, if they don't know, if it's like all people knew, you know, ways to interact with people, ask people their names, things like that. So, so, but I really think it just has to do with the basics, making sure that whenever you schedule it, it works for your, the majority of your group. Making sure you're that they that they're confirming, making sure that they know, you know, you know, if it's again, depending what it is, to dress appropriately. So those are just I'd say some basics. And what about follow up after the event? So follow up after the event, I think that's really important. Again, from a business standpoint, if you did an event, whether it's for your employees, your customers, potential clients. That follow-up, hey, you know, you might send a picture, a quick recap, a thank you for being part of it, and then a reminder of, you know, some of the things you do. I think that follow-up can be, is really important. I do think a lot of people don't take advantage of the follow-up because hmm. usually people, when you, people do an event, they feel great about it, and then they kind of a little forget, but it's an extra reminder. It's an extra touch point that they appreciate that you put together this event. So uh, absolutely, I think follow-up can be very powerful. And that's where I think when you shed pictures of content saying, hey, we got this picture of you, feel free to share and use to your liking. But a lot of people are like, hey, thanks. I really appreciate that. Right. And, and you mentioned you and your wife run, run quarterly events. Is there a, an ideal cadence or does it depend on? You know what? I don't know. I feel like, you know, we thought about monthly and maybe we get there for us. Quarterly seems about right for planning and bringing in and mm-hmm. just that. So, but I know real estate groups that do things on a more regular basis. For us, quarterly, it's just a little bigger event. We'll invest a little more with it. That feels about right with us. And I can imagine with more people being remote, having some kind of event on a regular basis, yeah. be it hi- hybrid or or completely online, would make yeah. a ton of sense for... And, and by the way, you don't, I mean, you know, my company, you know, we charge and things like that, but it doesn't have to be, there's a lot of free things. I mean, trivia is a really fun way to engage people. So we have like a, tri- and that's works really well in person and virtually. And it's just one of those things that you can find a theme that people can, that will like, or things like that. So that's maybe, that's kind of a simple low hanging fruit, but I've seen that go over really well. Yeah. Do, during, I'm just thinking of an event we did during COVID, during lockdown, and it was put on by a local brewery and yes. a couple of restaurants. Yeah. And you went around and you picked up all the supplies. Yeah. And then we all got on Zoom on yeah. Friday night and there's the beer and then you do a tasting and a, a cheese to go with it. And then you did this and it was, you felt like you were there, but it, it wasn't. So it's amazing what can be done. Oh, you know what? It, it- Again, it is amazing what can be done. And if it's done, if it's done well and you get the right personality, you know, people get captivated and they enjoy it. And it's just a little escape from, you know, their, the regular day-to-day stuff in their lives. So absolutely. And, and I think the other thing, which I think you kind of emphasize is that kind of brand building. Because I'm just thinking about that brewery. And then as soon as I was out of lockdown, that was the first place I went to pick up some takeout beer. That was the first place I went to. Yeah. To spend an evening. So you felt connected to them. 
I mean, I'm a big, again, you talk about branding and connection. I talk about that all the time, but you're right. I feel like if somebody has a good experience, wherever that venue, if the, if it's in person, if it's at a venue or if it's part of a group or things like that, it's, you know, all of a sudden, as I said, your guards are down. You've got a bet. You feel more connected to that and you're more likely to want to work with them or do business with them. So I feel like a lot of people, I think, try too hard to just go right into business. But, you know, I, I think probably a lot of people listening, if you think about some of their best business relationships, best clients, how they got jobs, a lot of it warmed up first with relationships or were connected through a friend or someone through school or whatever. But so I'm always a believer. How do you warm up relationships first and business second in some aspects? Yeah, I like that. It, it almost goes back to Carnegie, doesn't it? No like trust. And, yeah. And those first two things, no and like, you can yeah. do with an event. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I, I just want to kind of pivot slightly because you mentioned LinkedIn and you yes. use this extensively. So tell us a little bit about how you see kind of LinkedIn either dovetailing in with this or, or also as a, a standalone kind of business development. Sure. So as I said, I like to, if people talk about work-life balance, I like integrate like all the things in my life or things like that. So I like this work-life integration, but you know, social media for a lot of people is intimidating or what to do. Should I be on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook? You know, for me with LinkedIn, you know, there's almost a billion, there's 900 million members on LinkedIn. And you're talking about professionals, a lot of successful people, CEOs, VPs, you know, all different types, entrepreneurs, and I try to encourage entrepreneurs, again, it doesn't matter what industry or any leader or any professional to make themselves more visible on LinkedIn. I just think there's numerous benefits. So if you know other companies will notice you, it might help you find that next job. It might help you find that next client. And, and I believe there's ways of strengthening relationships, generating business, even positioning yourself as a thought leader. And it can be just baby steps. So for me personally, I started posting more about corporate culture, about employee engagement on LinkedIn and, and rather than just hard hitting, hey, do events with us. I just shared and I definitely, but it probably helped bring in 50, 60 new corporate clients just to our company that was, that LinkedIn was so powerful with it. And it helped find new strategic partners with it. So I, it, it helped me find a, a murder mystery group that I work with out of England that do that does virtual murder mystery. That's a, that we've been working with. Oh, yeah. And it was because of the LinkedIn content and someone that I knew that worked with it sent me a message through it. Mike McCluskey, by the way, was his name who knew that I was doing these things and the LinkedIn was a big part of it. So I, I just see a ton of benefits with it. And I, you know, it, not everyone needs to be a creator or an influencer, but just a baby step. Again, once a month, if you post, that's a start. So anyway, and I think if you have a company, when you post, it reshares what you're working on, your values, and encourages other people that work for you to engage more. And it can be free marketing because all of a sudden you have ambassadors that are sharing about you and your partner, your company or resharing or commenting. So, so that's kind of my take on it. And do you find with LinkedIn, I find that people do not spend as much time on LinkedIn. So you don't have to be as active as perhaps you're expecting to be expected to be on Instagram or TikTok or, 
where people are having to post all the time, even to get any kind of attention. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Like I, I try to post almost every day or at least five times a week on LinkedIn, but again, I'm a little unique. I've got 15,000 plus followers. I'm trying to grow it, trying to build brand and help others. But I'd say like, uh, I help consult the CEO and I'm just trying to encourage the CEO to post once a month. And basically he's got hundreds of employees and I feel like that's a really good cadence for him because every time he posts, he gets a tremendous amount of engagement. Employees and leaders are really involved. And it's now he's got other uh, talent that reaches out and says, hey, I saw you on LinkedIn. You know, they're looking. So it's it's almost like a recruiting tool. It's a culture tool. It's a thought leadership tool. And it ha- as I said, it has a halo effect when he posts, I think others do. So I see it ha- checking a lot of boxes. And, and I've built a lot of new strategic partnerships and relationships because of LinkedIn. And do you use the paid version or do you use the? F- I, I, you know, there's a sales navigator that uh, people use for really active prospecting in this. I just use the premium. I mm-hmm. like to also, I, there's a few more analytics I can see which companies are looking at what I'm looking at, where they are, the titles. Like, so I try to focus a lot to build my content on CEOs, founders, co-founders, entrepreneurs, people in HR, and those are the people now are following me. So I've been very prescriptive on that. And then with my wife and what we're we're doing with real estate, you know, she's been really effective now in utilizing LinkedIn, sharing testimonials, which I think can be really powerful and kind of drawing, but has had several clients or people reaching out to say, hey, we know you do real estate in Chicago. Land, you know, we're, you know, we might be interested in buying or selling or moving. So it, it works. I mean, it's mm. a little bit like working out, though. It's like, you know, <laughs> o- over time, you'll start seeing the the fruits of your labor. But uh, again, uh, to your point, you don't, I think you can still make a positive difference just posting occasionally, like versus an Instagram or a TikTok. So, so it's about consistency, but it, what I'm hearing underneath is kind of a theme that you've kind of all the way through is relationships. It's about yeah. start, starting and building relationships, but you don't, sounds like you haven't necessarily needed to be connected to those people to do that, but you've done enough to get noticed and then they follow you. Then you've got the reason to connect versus the other way around. Yeah, absolutely. I'll share one other thing too. It's like for people that there are still a lot of people that are hesitant to post on LinkedIn and their reasons often are one, I'm just nervous. I don't want to say anything that's going to ruffle any feathers or look poorly if it's out there forever. And the other is they just don't know what to say. And, you know, sometimes those are hurdles that people, they're just not motivated enough to do it. But even if you were, even if there's people that you're interested in building a, a professional relationship or working more with, if you just follow their content and you like it and occasionally you put a thoughtful comment, more than just nice article or nice job, but you know, hey, I got I learned something from it. You do that to somebody five or six times. Yeah. And then you reach out to them, said I'd love to connect with you or uh, open to a quick call or coffee or whatever. The fact that they've seen you engage in their content five, six times and thoughtful and comment that you may have influenced them you're going to, there. there's a much higher chance they're going to be receptive to taking a call or connecting or moving that step forward. So makes a ton of sense. It, any final kind of words of wisdom around LinkedIn that you would 
recommend if you were somebody sitting here, somebody's listening and they're saying, yeah, I've got a profile, but I haven't done anything with it. And I kind of occasionally. You know, I would say one is your profile. Just make, make sure you have a professional looking picture image. That's one. Make sure at least there's a quick description that people know who you are, or what you offer. I mean, that alone. I mean, I worked with this woman who was working for a company. Now she's a professional organizer. She never changed her LinkedIn. She just changed her, just her description to, to professional organizer. Her name's uh, Lisa Garcia. She has this minimal Lisa professional organizing. And just that alone, people started reaching out to her. So that, and then I'd encourage people, just think about making a first post on something that you're interested in or an expertise that aligns with whatever your business is. So as I said, you've got to draw your audience with real estate investors or things like that. There might just be some tips you share on these are things you should think about for your first real estate investment. Or, I mean, just in, try not to make it as much about you as focus more on your audience. What would your audience find valuable? And it doesn't have to be rocket science. It just has to be a few tips, and just think of that as a starting point. So that would be a update your profile so it looks professional, represents you well, and think of that first post. Okay. Great. Now, a couple of questions I'd like to ask guests before we sure. kind of wrap up and let people know where they can find you. Yeah. Uh, who is a favorite personal brand and why? A favorite personal brand? You know, I'm a big fan of Gary Vaynerchuk on... Uh, uh, and maybe even Sarah Blakely as well. There, you know, I see them on LinkedIn. I think they do a great job branding themselves. A guy like a Gary Vaynerchuk is very off. The, you hear the word authentic so often, but he really yeah. is. I mean, he's not trying to dress to impress. He's not carefully picking his words. He's just like hard hitting. This is what I'm seeing. Here are trends. So I just think he's got a good pulse on where the world in marketing and branding is going. And so that. And then Sarah Blakely is the CEO of Banks. I've seen her on Shark Tank, but she just, I like the way she brands herself. I like the way she inspires. I think she's just got good, inspiring content. Yeah. And I, I think she, she also is authentic. It's, oh yeah. Oh yeah. There's, there's nothing yeah. you see with her that you think, okay, she's just saying that for the, the camera or something. I just yeah. get the sense from her. She's pretty straight, straight talking. Okay. What about a, a business, favorite business book or podcast? Let's think this podcast, you know, recently, and again, this was through LinkedIn, a young a woman named Hala Taha. She has a podcast, Young and Pro Profiting, called Yeah. And she interviews some great guests. And so I've elevated my LinkedIn game from her, but also from branding. So she's got a top 100 podcast. She's interviewed like Matthew McConaughey, Damon John, wow. Grant Cardone. So really, Oppress people. And I, and actually through LinkedIn, I connected with her and I did an, I interviewed her and she shared some insights. So anyway, that would be one. This may sound a little odd, but one, an author, a favorite author, by the way, is Ron Cherno. And I got really into Hamilton, the music or things like that. But I thought I, I read Hamilton and Grant and Washington, and I find learning lessons of past presidents and their history. It, it just, it get, it, the stress that they had, it just kind of gives me more peace of mind that, you know, I'm not necessarily solving all the biggest world's problems. I'm just trying to make the biggest impact I can. But I, anyway, I just find him a really engaging. So I encourage anybody, but Hamilton was the most powerful book for me. But anyway, but as a podcast, I'm going to say this young and profiting, a yap with Halataha. Okay. Yeah, it, it, there's, uh, I, I, you probably know him, I know of him, Ryan Holliday. 
the Daily Stoic. He's really big on on books, but very often he does a, a book list every month. And very often there's U.S. president book biographies in there. Okay, okay. And I think from a leadership point of yes. view and lessons and yes, yeah, you know, yeah. yeah, leadership, culture, lessons, how to you know, especially resiliency. And you know, yeah. when people are feeling something, how do you rile the troops? I mean, I find inspiring. So, how about a new tool or resource that you're enjoying using at the moment? Um. So I'll share these. I mean, I'll share three. So Canva is my favorite. I mean, I'm not a graphic designer, but I use Canva. And again, anytime I do interviews or things like that, I do these nice thumbnails or presentations. So I find that fantastic. Recently with AI, you know, obviously ChatGPT can help me think of ideas content. And then there's another graphics called MidJourney. And mm -hmm. MidJourney is a graphics, and I think I pay $10 a month but I can create graphics really easily. So once there was this bar that wanted to do a shark theme trivia and, you know, we had found a host and did that. And, but they sent an email and when, honestly, within 15, 20 seconds, I just said, make me a cartoon version of a shark playing trivia, drinking a beer. <laughs> and in the email follow-up, you know, while we're going back and forth, 30 seconds later, my next email shows this graphic of a shark. And it was like, well, wow. where did you find that? And then I was, and it, it, it just, it was so quick. So anyway, this mid-journey I find I've been recently using and I'm kind of, oh, I, like, it. Yeah. I like that. I'm going to check that one out. Yeah. Actually, my, my youngest is in graph, into graphics, so they probably oh. love playing with that. Yeah. Okay. And uh, do you have a favorite uh, quote that inspires or motivates you? I, I do. It, it's, well, I have several, but Thomas Edison said, I haven't failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that won't work. And so I'm just a believer in, you know, if to not be scared to fail or trying different things. So that's one that I've always, I've always liked. You know, I've always, you know, Mike Tyson says everyone has a plan until they get hit in they the, the face. Thing. Yeah, so that, <laughs> so that one always kind of, you know, but it, it, you know, for me, it's about, you know, innovating, trying new things and being resilient, especially in, in pressure. Right. I like both those. That's excellent. So Matt, where can people find out more about you? Where do we best uh, get in touch? So I, for me, it's LinkedIn. I mean, you can, Matthew Rolnick, find me on LinkedIn. You know, anybody can reach out or any of your audience can reach out to me on there. My email is my first initial last name, mrolnick at yaymaker.com. And they can always reach me there as well. So. Okay. We'll make sure that is in the show notes. And Matt, thank you for the insights today. I've really enjoyed our conversation and have yourself a brandtastic day. Well, thank you very much, Paul. It was a pleasure. Thanks. Well, was that brandtastic? Did it give you some ideas and actions that you can take right now to build your business? So get to it. Thank you for listening and have a brandtastic day.